Welcome to the Tales of Success podcast, a show about Labradors and achieving training success. Hello and welcome to the Tales of Success podcast with me, Vicky Sharp. In this episode, I'm joined by Sam Raggett and we're going to be talking about elbow dysplasia in Labradors. Sam is the proud owner of two lovely Labradors called Mabel and Dennis, but unfortunately Dennis was diagnosed with elbow dysplasia at a young age, so Sam and her family were forced to learn about the condition very quickly. Sam has kindly agreed to share some of her experiences with you in this episode and describe the difficult journey that her and her family have been on. Sam is also the Tales of Success Labrador nutrition expert, so she may even drop a few little hints and tips into this episode too. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with the most important people or dogs in this story, I should say. I want you to tell me all about Mabel and Dennis. So for those of you listening to this that don't know Mabel and Dennis, Sam, I'm going to get you to tell us how old they are and a little bit more about their personalities, because I know they've got very different personalities, haven't they? Oh, yes, they're very different. So um, Mabel is two. She is so calm, so relaxed. We generally thought she was mute at first because she didn't start barking till about maybe eight months ago. Um, yeah, she's she's perfect, apart from a food intolerance. So every time she has rice, we certainly know about it. Um, and then we got Dennis um, last year in April. Um, he's now just turned uh, a year old. Um, he's a beautiful red colour with the temperament of a red coloured dog. Um, he is lovely, but he is a handful and um, obviously has elbow dysplasia as, as well. And how old was Dennis when you got him? Was he a, a youngster? Yeah, yeah, he was. So um, we got him when he was um, eight weeks old. Perfect. And I remember seeing pictures of Dennis when you first got him and he was an absolute adorable little dog and he still is actually. Um, describe him as a puppy. What was he like when you first brought him home? Was he a, a little superstar or did he give you any challenges? No, I mean, he suffers really badly from car sickness. So, you know, he's a drooling mess every time we're in the car. So, but, you know, it's something that we all laughed at, but he was so active he was so eager to learn he's very very intelligent um yeah he he was brilliant he's exactly what everyone told me having a puppy was going to be like because obviously when I had Mabel as a puppy it was very different because she was just poorly all the time but yeah Dennis was it was lovely yeah it was brilliant so it sounds like you had two very different experiences with Labradors as puppies and you mentioned about Mabel being poorly that was the food intolerance. And actually, I'm going to bring you back another day to speak in more depth about intolerances. But it's quite unfortunate that you've had two dogs with with two medical conditions. Um, and I guess that's affected them both as they've grown up. Have you had a lot to deal with with both of them, I guess? Uh, yeah. So Mabel's was once we realised what it is, that's quite easy to deal with. Um, but Dennis's is obviously um, a lot harder and is a lifelong thing so it's something we're always going to have to live with and manage so yeah Dennis is certainly a lot more complex than, than Mabel ever was. And with that sort of complex issue the elbow dysplasia is that something that you knew Dennis had got from the very beginning did you adopt him knowing that he'd got some medical conditions or was it something that you became aware of a little bit later after you'd had him a little while? Uh, no, unfortunately, we had no idea. So um, 
after we'd had him for about well, about maybe a month, two months, he, he had a little bit of a limp, only a tiny one, and you could only notice it now and again. And um, we took him down to the vets and they were like, oh, it could be um, growing pains because he is quite a big dog. So, but they should go after a week or so. And, but unfortunately it just never did. And, you know, we'd start taking him out on a walk and he, the head bob would come and he'd limp more and more. And uh, finally we managed to get him to have a CT scan where they diagnosed it with elbow dysplasia. So, you know, we certainly didn't know anything about it when we, when we got him. And you, you said that you finally got that diagnosis of elbow dysplasia. What was that journey like? Because you went to the vets and you said that they said it was possibly growing pains. So was it a quick process from them suggesting it might be growing pains to elbow dysplasia? Or was it a long, drawn-out process getting that diagnosis? I mean, it was quite a long, drawn-out process. So um, I had a nagging feeling that it was slightly more because... Um, we'd looked into growing pains and yes that does happen but it should kind of go as quick as it as it comes and Dennis really wasn't um we contacted the breeder because she was um she had said she was going to send us all of the documentation through and um when we contacted her it turned out that the documentation she said existed didn't actually exist so that straight away started to ring alarm bells um, so we brought all of that to our vet who x-rayed his leg and they couldn't see anything obvious, but obviously the lameness was was getting worse. So um, this all started in uh, July and he finally got a CT scan in the October. So, yeah, it was quite a long, a long process, really. And did you have to push for that process to be kind of taken up by the vet was that something they voluntarily did or did you come up against any obstacles when you because you said you had that nagging feeling that it was a bit more than growing pains were you that sort of uh persistent doggy parent that was banging on the door of the vet saying come on I think there's something more yeah a little bit because um they were quite reluctant to x-ray him because obviously they do have to sedate them so they obviously only ever want to do that if they they really you know have to and our our normal vet was actually on holiday as well. So it was it was kind of hard to try and get them to get the ball rolling. But I think once they saw the severity of his limp, when they saw him out walking, that that kind of sped it up. The, the only thing that really slowed it down was because they're not a specialist themselves, they were sending off the x-rays to one vet to get an opinion and then sending it off to another vet to get an opinion. So it did take a while before it actually got referred to you know, somebody that knew what they were talking about. So unfortunately, it did take a long time and a bit of nagging. But And when you were going to the vets, and first of all, they said growing pains, and then they said it might be dysplasia. Did you already know what elbow dysplasia was? Did you think that the odds of it being that were, were quite high? Or did you have anything else in your mind that it might be? I guess you always hope that it's not going to be as bad as that. But what did you know about it, I suppose? Um, I knew a little bit about it from doing my nutrition course. Um, so I did know something about it. Um, there was a little bit of me that was kind of hoping it was more shoulder dysplasia because the outcome of that is a lot, a lot better. Um, I was dreading it being elbow dysplasia, but you know, the, the more he grew and the more I looked into it, the more obvious that's what it was, was going to be. So it was just a, a waiting game really to get the confirmation and 
unfortunately it did it did come and how old was Dem when you got that diagnosis he must have still been a a very young pup yeah yeah so he was about oh, six months seven months old so um yeah he was still quite young but that's actually worked in his favor because he hadn't finished growing so you know that gave him a slightly better outcome than it could have done if he was a bit older so yeah he was young but at the same time that has kind of helped his his recovery as well so you know it's a double-edged sword isn't it really so he lost a bit of puppy time but yeah and I guess you know once you've got that diagnosis of elbow dysplasia in, in a young energetic dog seven months you know most Labrador owners when they've got a dog of seven months are tearing the hair out because the dogs are jumping around everywhere but you've just been given this diagnosis of elbow dysplasia so what happens at that point in your head what are you thinking you know have you suddenly got to keep Dennis in in a crate and keep him nice and calm are you thinking the worst or are you quite positive and upbeat about it at that point? Can you remember all those emotions that you went through? Pretty much all of them, actually, in a space of about five minutes. Um, so um, when we actually spoke to our specialist, he I mean, he was amazing. Um, first of all, I felt a lot of guilt. I was straight away, is it something I've done? Is it, have we walked him too much? Did we not walk him enough? We've got a step out of the house. Is it because he used the step? And he was very good. He looked into Dennis's history and was like, this is completely genetic. Absolutely nothing you did would have made it any, you know, made it happen or made it any worse. Um, and also when he did the scan, he said there's two different types of elbow dysplasia. And how he describes it is there's the shoe that doesn't fit and the shoe with a stone in. So Dennis has the shoe that doesn't fit on his left elbow, which they can't operate on. There's not really much they can do, but luckily in his left elbow, it's really minor. So you, you barely notice it. On his right elbow, he had the um, stone in the shoe, which means they can operate. And it's when the bones, the little bit of bone has broken away. So he had quite a big bit of bone floating in the middle. So that kind of gave us a little bit of hope, even though we knew he was going to have to be operated on, we knew we could ease the pain that he was going to be in. So yeah, there was just so many emotions going on and, you know, there isn't much help out there when you're given that diagnosis either. So you do feel quite lost a lot of the time. So you just don't want that to happen to you. Yeah. And you said there's, kind of difficult to get the information in some ways there's a lack of information it was probably quite difficult for you to find all the answers but at the same time we've all got google and facebook and that's sometimes the worst thing that we can have because once we look at google you always see the worst straight away so where did you go to learn a bit more about this was it just again pestering the vets for the information did you find a particular resource that you found quite useful or was it just taking snippets from everywhere um, so our um, specialist gave us an awful lot of information on it. So we kind of took his word for a lot of it, because obviously he knows a lot more about it than, say, we do. Um, there's also a few forums that we we joined of other people that were going through the same experience, because, you know, it's what we have found is that when you go online, you end up comparing yourself to all these time frames and things that they say are going to happen. And it generally doesn't happen as it says online, which then can make you feel even worse. So 
by going onto these forums or we found a few other people on Instagram going through the same thing. It was just nice to talk to other people who would either give you hope and say, you know, it's a long, dark tunnel, but there is a little bit of light. Or you'd hear people that were going through exactly the same as you and struggling the same as you. So, you know, it's hard to find, but when you find it, it is a it is a real big support. Yeah, and I guess really reassuring as well to know that you're not the only one. There's people that are going through it and have been and achieved some good results out of the interventions that have been put in place. Yeah. So once you've had this diagnosis, um, what options were you actually given to care for Dennis? Were you sort of said, you know, you've got two or three different options to choose from? And what did you opt for? Was it quite an easy decision to, to get different bits of help for him what procedures has he had up to now yeah so we were kind of told you can kind of leave it um or you can operate um and when we saw the x-ray and the size of the fragment that was inside his joint it it was kind of like it was a no-brainer for us we had to operate and get get that out so um yeah he went in and we were very lucky that um he was operated on within two weeks of diagnosis um unfortunately when they went in there they they found that all of his cartilage was very diseased so they ended up having to remove all of that so now Dennis is literally his joint is just bone bone on bone so you know it it wasn't the best outcome but at the same time it was the right thing right thing to do so you know we don't regret operating at all. So, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. We then had a, a half bald dog. I didn't realize how much hair. That's something I would always say to somebody, if they are going to go for the operation, be prepared for how much hair they're going to lose. And they don't cut it very well either. I mean, talk about a bad haircut. Um, so we had about six weeks where he was on crate rest, which was incredibly hard and you know he was only allowed outside if he was on the lead to have a wee which again was very hard with a lot of pain relief um Mabel was brilliant she would just lie outside of his crate and almost just kind of lick his leg every so often so it was it, you know she was brilliant throughout it all and slowly but surely he just just started to walk and get a get a bit better um we were then afterwards were given options of um, just some simple exercise or you can go down the hydrotherapy route. And we decided you've got to try everything. So we went down the hydrotherapy route, which was the best thing we've ever done. And that was going to be my next question, actually, about his recovery. So how long ago is it now since he had the operation? And what ha- what are the medical interventions has he had? So physio, hydro, and would you recommend all of those things that you've done or were there any bits and pieces that you did that maybe you think didn't help Dennis? Yeah, so he had the operation at the beginning of October. Um, so, yeah, a few months now. Um, yeah, we've done hydrotherapy. That is absolutely brilliant. You, every time, I mean, he gets so excited to go and every time he comes out of there, you can see him a little bit stronger. And they've given us loads of exercises to do with him at home. So we do all of that on a on a daily basis to build up the muscle because we need to build up as much muscle on his right leg to counteract the fact that he's got no, you know, no cartilage in there and everything like that. So we've done 
all of that, which was brilliant. Um, we did try some medication, which was called Cartrofen, which is a, they inject on the back of the neck and um, it can help stimulate growth in, in, the, in the joints and things like that. We really didn't see any difference with Den at all with that. So after about five um, sessions, we, we stopped that one. Um, we tried laser, which we found really good. Um, he had a flare up about a month, maybe two months ago now, where he was really, really bad, like worse than he was before the operation. And we just took him to the hydro people who gave him a, an extra session of just the uh, light therapy. And he came walking out there like a like a new dog. So that one we definitely have found does work. So, yeah, there's so many options out there, though. That's, that's it, half the problem. Yeah, and it sounds like hydrotherapy not only has been useful for Dennis, but it sounds like he's really enjoyed it. So um, just because I think it's really important that people do go to the right places for this help, give them a little shout out. Whoever does the hydrotherapy, and I've got no idea who it is, tell everyone who it is just so they um, can possibly approach a trusted name if they do want some hydro. Oh, it's Cotswold Dog Spa. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, there's quite a few um, hydrotherapists out there that have actually got no qualifications at all. They've just got a pool. Um, so you've got to be really careful. But these ladies, they know their stuff. They've actually been our, our guide throughout all of this. They've been constant. They've been reassuring. And to be honest, they've been the only ones that have been really honest with us as well. And, you know, I think without them, um, yeah, I, I, I think I would have probably lost it a long time ago on this journey but yeah so they're brilliant absolutely brilliant there good so well done to Cotswold Dog Spa good effort um so what does um Dennis's future hold you know does he need any more hydro is it going to be a long-term thing does he need more medication does he have medication that he takes every single day and and is that going to change as he gets older yeah so this we're now at a stage where Dennis is just Dennis um so it's about managing the condition. It will never get any better. There is no cure for it. And that's what you've always got to remember. Um, at the moment, he is up to 40 minute walks twice a day on a lead, which is something Dennis has never been able to do. So that is brilliant. Um, and he gets a treat of off lead for 10 minutes uh, once, maybe twice a week. So that is something we didn't think we'd ever get to achieve. Um, he does hydro still, so he was doing that every week and he's now going to once every three weeks um, because he's doing so well. Um, he's on the minimum pain relief every single day. So he's on the dog equivalent of um, paracetamol, so one in the morning and one in the evening. And then he's on a, a steroid as well once once a day. Um, we have been told about this new wonder drug called Labrella which apparently is a game changer for a lot of dogs. Unfortunately, it hasn't been on the market for quite some time because of us leaving the EU and things like that. But I got a, a phone call from the vets last week to say that it's coming in this week. So there's a lot of happy tears then. So that's definitely going to be a game changer if it works for Dennis. So we know that Dennis is definitely going to have arthritis and you know he will get it a bit earlier than he would if he was a normal healthy labrador and we'll just manage it when we get there 
you know, that that's that's what it is. He's never going to be a marathon dog. We're never going to go for 10 mile walks and have fun like that with him. But we get belly rubs every day. And, you know, we we get Dennis licks every day and he is so happy and he's a flirt. You've met him, Vicky. He's a flirt. So, you know, we get the other joys from it. So, you know, it's you've got to see the good in it. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of meeting Dennis a couple of times when he was a young puppy and now when he's a bit older. And I have to say he is a flirt. He's absolutely amazing and totally brilliant. And I think it's very nice how you've just described that because you know that actually he's not going to be, I say normal, you know, in inverted commas, he's not a normal dog because he's got these uh, elbow dysplasia issues, but you're giving him the best possible life and he loves every single day with you. And that's the important thing. Um, So well done for making his life as comfortable as possible. It's important to know how this came about as well. So he was diagnosed from a very young age, really. Yeah. Is this something that he would have always had or is it something that could have developed from an injury? Uh, no, unfortunately, elbow dysplasia um, is a genetic thing. Um, so when you go to purchase a dog, um, we're always told to check papers and, and things like that, um, which I can't emphasise enough. That's one of the biggest lessons we have learned in all of this is that not everyone's nice and not everyone's trustworthy. So when um, you buy a dog, you can ask if they've had their elbow and hip scores um, done. Um, When you have their hips done, you're looking for quite a low number, preferably under seven. So what they do is they score each side, they give it a score and add it together. And that's what you you know that's what you base it on so it's quite a low probability if it's under seven they'll ever have anything wrong with their hips when it comes to their elbows um it scored zero to three and um any score at all above a zero is means there is a likelihood that it will be passed on and there is a likelihood that the pups will will have it unfortunately mabel's um mum didn't have these tests done and um, when we've looked into the line of Mabel's mum, Mabel's mum's dad had a had a two and then her gran had a a three so it's there in the line and obviously you know it just gets passed on it is a genetic thing Um, it's basically when when they're a puppy their bones haven't formed and connected up And the DNA is constantly working, sending signals to how to meet all these bones. There's so many bones to all that have to grow exactly the same time and fuse at exactly the same time. And if that DNA is just slightly out, the wrong signals are sent and those bones will never, never form. So on his left side, where it's the shoe doesn't fit, his bones actually the wrong shape. So it's nothing to do with an injury it's nothing we've done it was always the wrong the wrong shape so uh, with the stone in the shoe it's where they've tried to fit together the bones have rubbed together and chipped off so again you know it's nothing we have done it is a a completely genetic thing so unfortunately when he was born it was it was there and there's nothing to say that any of the other pups in in that pack may not have them I mean it can come out as as late as two years old so you know I guess then the the genetic history that you've just mentioned Mm. 
that would have probably been documented somewhere or at least should have been documented somewhere. So going back in hindsight, which is a great thing, what would you have done differently? And if you were getting another puppy, what would you do to ensure that you're getting a dog that's the best possible health and we're not breeding dogs that do have any genetic difficulties? Uh, so I would actually ask to see the papers. I asked all the right questions. Um, you know, I asked her about the scores. Um, she'd said, oh, did I not send you all the paperwork through? Oh, yeah, she scored this and this and um, I'll, I'll email it all through. And she just never did. And I, I just trusted her. She was so, you know, confident when she spoke about it. So I was just like, oh, you know, OK. And it wasn't until we messaged her again and we're just kind of like, can we have the paperwork? And she was just like, oh, oh, I didn't actually get it done. And, you know, it's as soon as we said she said that, I was just like, I just knew just then I just knew. So, you know, that's one thing I would say. Do your research. Don't be afraid to ask if they make an excuse for not showing you the, the results. Walk away. You know, no matter how much you've fallen in love with 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 that puppy, walk away because you know that it's a life it's a lifelong thing that you've got to manage, and very expensive. I will say. Yeah, and with these scores and these tests that are really important when breeding a dog, some people think that actually they're not really that relevant, and it can almost be a bit elitist that you've got a dog with certain scores. Yeah. But I think this just highlights how important it is for not only that litter of puppies, but the breed going forward as well. We need to make sure that we're breeding the best possible dogs that don't have these health issues. So we're not bringing dogs into the world that are going to going to suffer in any way, shape or form. So, Sam, for people that have just got a dog or they've got a dog and they're fairly new to it and they've got this little niggle in the back of their head that something is not quite right with their dog, whether it's elbows hips or some sort of joint what would you say to them would you give them any particular advice and what would you say that they start looking out for if they feel that things aren't quite right as you did well it's the head bob is always um is always the key so they don't just limp a little bit you know sometimes they can lose their footing or if they have hurt their foot is that you can see it's a bit of a limp when, it, when they've got a problem with their joint, um, they kind of slap their foot down and they bob their head down. So um, the rule of thumb is down is sound. So while they're walking, when their head is down, whatever leg has the pressure on, that's the good leg. So bear that in mind. So when you go to the vet, say, I think they've got a problem. I think it's this, this joint. Their head is bobbing when it's down. So just keep going. You know, if you've got a if you've got an issue, just keep just keep asking. So and, you know, if you are worried about the scores, then, you know, take those with you to the vets as well. I mean, just because the mum might have had a good score, if their mum's mum hasn't got good scores and it can still go down down the line. So just look into it, bring as much information as you can to the vets. And, you know, a lot of them are pretty good. and are aware of it especially in labradors yeah it's a pretty common thing unfortunately so um it will usually be one of the first things that vets think about is hip and elbow issues yeah. okay so you are also the tales of success labrador nutritionist so it would be really wrong of me not to talk to you very quickly about supplements so can supplements 
really help with preventing this type of issue or actually aid in the recovery of this type of issue? How important have supplements been to help Dennis's recovery? Well, it can't ever prevent it. Um, but um, my vet, um, we've just gone to a specialist, an orthopedic specialist, and I've shown him all of the supplements that I've given Den, and he was really amazed, and he was just like, like, wow. He said, you know your stuff, do you know a nutritionist? And I was like, oh, I am one, actually. And he was like, well, you can tell. And he said, it, it will slow it all down, and that's what ultimately we want to do. So... Dennis is on a lot of supplements. Um, he's on a lot of omega-3 and a lot of omega-6. He's on a lot, but it's a small price to pay knowing that he it's just going to slow him down. Um, as I said to you the other day, you watch him at the moment and you wouldn't really know there's anything wrong. He's he's crazy. He keeps having the zoomies and you're there telling him to stop because he's got a bad leg. But that just goes to show he's not in, in pain and the strength is there. And by giving him these supplements and by addressing it in his diet, it's really helped grow the muscle and support the joint, which is ultimately what we want to do. If he was on none of it, it would be a very weak joint and, you know, it'd be a very different story. So it does really help. Definitely. And if anyone listening to this wants a bit more information on supplements, then head over to the Tales of Success YouTube channel or even check out episode number six of this podcast where Sam and I talk about our favorite supplements. So, Sam, what are your top tips for people considering buying a puppy? What homework should they do? And this doesn't have to be elbow dysplasia specific or even supplement specific. Think about it from a pet owner point of view. What would you say to anyone considering it, good or bad? It's going to be the best thing you ever do having a puppy. No matter what anyone says, it really will. But when you buy, just think about where you're buying it from. Um, if they say the pup is Casey registered, you have a lot more information to hand than you would if they're not. So if they are Casey registered, ask for their kennel club names because it will be completely different to what their actual name name is. Um, and then you can research their family history and go right back and have a good look into all of their scores and their DNA and things like that. Um, there's a lot of licensed breeders out there which are, are good to use but you know don't don't be fooled just because they are a licensed breeder Dennis's breeder was licensed doesn't mean they've always got the best interest at heart go with your your gut feeling if there's something not quite right there's plenty more puppies out there so you know just do your research ask the questions and if they can't give you the evidence if they can't give you the right answer walk away sound advice um you and i speak fairly frequently and i know that mabel and dennis have had a massive massive impact on your life and i wouldn't be at all surprised if in six months time you tell me you've got another little puppy um, what is the best bit about having a labrador in your life would you say oh have we got long enough oh i don't know like today i've had a very stressful day at work I've come home to two dogs that are so excited to see me. They've been all over me. I'm covered in hair and they're so excited. Um, I'm doing scent training with Mabel at the moment. And it's just lovely to see how eager she is to, to learn and for her to have new skills. You know, you go for nice walks. They're so loving. They're just so loving. I mean, 
honestly, the benefits are endless. Yeah, it's been turbulent. I haven't had the best puppy runs, as they would say, you know. Sometimes I do get a bit jealous of all these people that seem to just have normal puppies, but I wouldn't change it, not for the world. I really wouldn't. And, you know, as soon as they give that big smile, everything just goes away. Yeah, I'm biased, but they are by far the best creature in the world. Um, So you've had a couple of labs. What is your number one top tip for any Labrador owner out there? Oh, number one. Well, now that I would say supplements. I would definitely say supplements. So, yeah, good diet and supplements and training. (laughs) Yeah, lots of training. No, diet and supplements is a great one. We know that every Labrador um, is fueled by what goes into their tummies and they like as much of it as possible. Um, Sam, that has been really useful. And thanks so much for sharing your experiences with us. Um, Where can people follow the journey of Mabel and Dennis? Give a plug to your social accounts. Tell us what your Instagram and TikTok accounts are so people can give you a little follow. Yeah, so it's Mabel and Dennis on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, We're quite open about the elbow dysplasia on our our Instagram. So we do a lot of updates, um, good and bad, because that is one thing we did find. uh, There's a lot of positive updates, which makes you feel worse when you're going through a rough time. So there are some sad, like little bit negative posts, but that's how we were feeling at the time. And that's what the journey was, because anyone on this journey well I'm sure we'll agree it's one heck of an emotional roller coaster yep it certainly is Sam thank you so much if you found this podcast interesting want to be kept updated with new episodes as they get released remember to hit the like subscribe or follow button depending on your platform if you do like listening in and want us to cover a particular subject in our podcast or maybe you want to join us to share your Labrador stories drop me an email at hello at talesofsuccess.com Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us. We hope that has been useful to you. But from me, all I want to finish off by saying is be caring, be consistent and be your Labrador's best teacher. I'll catch you on the next episode.